1: It's going to be very strange. I mean, the man is a stranger to me now, and yet he's my brother. You understand? It's a very strange feeling.
3: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is Resound.
4: And I heard him answer the phone, being the mother of a teenager, and they're not home, you never go, you know, soundly asleep. You hear that phone ring, and you know at that time of night there's something going on. Resound is a remix of audio stories, music, found sound, and
3: sound bites we love from all over the world.
5: I try not to uh, take people the way I remember them, but as they are. And I try not to dwell upon the past.
3: Today, we go back in time. In one case, to see if old wounds can be healed and in the other a day in history marked by two parallel tragedies but only one made international headlines stay with us
6: Do you know what my new podcast is about
2: I uh, know I don't know anything about it
6: I'm I'm sort of like a therapist
2: like a therapist
3: So, yeah, Jonathan Goldstein first came to Third Coast's attention on This American Life and in his occasional dry, acerbic, self effacing stories on his own show, Wiretap, from the CBC. We have lovingly followed his career over a long arc, laughing and sometimes crying, as he infuses his work with scenes from his past, friends who've been by his side for decades, and characters from his family who are right out of central casting. These days, Jonathan hosts the podcast Heavyweight, and in each episode, he tries to help someone reconcile an issue from their past, something that's been unresolved for years, even decades. In this episode, that someone is his father, Buzz.
6: (laughs) Hello? Hey, Dad. Hi, Johnny. Hey, how you doing? Good, you? Good, good. Uh, good Yumtiv. Shana Tova. Aksameach. Aksameach.
0: <laughs> What's that mean?
6: I'm not sure. Oh, oh. This is my father, Buzz. I'm calling him at his home in Montreal. And the reason we're talking crazy talk is because it's Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement, which seems as good a day as any to talk with him about forgiveness. Um so I wanted to yeah. I wanted to ask you something and I just wanted to gauge your interest. Yeah. How how would you feel about paying your brother Sheldon a visit?
0: I have no feelings by. I'm not really interested.
6: You're not. No. My father Buzz is 80 and his brother Sheldon, his only sibling, is 85. And for the past 40 years, they've pretty much been on the outs. My father lives in Montreal, and Sheldon lives in Florida, and the last time they saw each other, over 20 years ago, was at their mother's funeral, when they had a fight over the details of the arrangements. Since then, they've hardly spoken. It worries me because there's not a lot of time left, and I don't want my father to have regrets. When the subject of his brother comes up, as it often has over the years, my father feels competing things. He grows angry or defensive, but other times he'll become sad and remorseful. And it's the sorrow and the remorse that I like best, because it's these feelings that I believe speak to his better self, the self I want to encourage. I'm not surprised that you're not jumping at the idea, but I'm a little surprised that you're as uh, against the idea.
0: Yeah, time's passed, uh... He hasn't shown much interest. So I, I'm respecting that, and I leave him alone.
6: What he did do was he, he called you on your 80th birthday uh, not, not yeah. so long ago, and yeah, you felt good I about that. I called
0: him on his 80th birthday.
6: This kind of tit-for-tat accounting is what always gets in the way. There's been a competition between the brothers since I was a kid. I remember how in my grandmother's small New York kitchen, Sheldon and Buzz got into an argument about who could do the most push-ups and the next thing I knew, my father was pulling off his shirt and dropping to the kitchen floor in his undershirt. My mother, not used to seeing this side of him, stood over my father, flapping a dish towel hysterically while begging him, to the point of tears, to please stop. "'Now you go,' my father said, rising from the floor when he was done. But Sheldon shook his head with a smile. It was like he didn't even think my father was worth the effort.'
0: You know what it is at this point with him? I'll tell you what it is. I don't think it's even anger. He's past anger, and he's past any, any feelings of animosity. He's past that. He just doesn't care. Yeah. You know, that's apathy. I, I mean, sometimes you, you, at least hate or love their emotions. Apathy is nothing.
6: Yeah.
0: You know what, Johnny, as a child, even when I was 10, when I was 9 and 8, I, I, I was crazy about him. We had a great, you know. I, I loved him. He was the older brother. He was. Hello.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening.
0: Uh, you know, uh, I just looked up to him, and he had all the friends. Sometimes he'd take me along with him, and he was good. Somebody trying to somebody trying to call here, binging me here.
6: Don't you see, Buzz? It's Father Time who is binging you here, and Buzz loses track of time. Air conditioners remain boxed all through July, and expired coupons from the mid-90s make plump his wallet. So I worry he'll put off reaching out to Sheldon until it's too late. The most complicated question, the one I keep coming back to, is how did the bad blood begin? And there are many versions. An ill-fated trip to Montreal where Sheldon felt slighted about having to stay in my father's basement an ill-fated trip to New York where my father felt slighted about having to stay in Sheldon's attic. Rude words spoken to each other's wives. In one version of the story, Sheldon's refusal to bring a table to my bris almost resulted in my being circumcised on an ironing board. But in the version being told today, my father was asked by Sheldon to pay more than his fair share for their mother's funeral.
0: And I said, you always working some kind of an angle. So that, he got furious. He got furious. He started screaming into the phone, phone go to hell, drop dead, blah, blah, blah. He was that, – that was how that ended. But I, I feel he's the kind of guy that he got – he has angles like that, you know. He has angles. I always felt I was on the up and up with him, and he wasn't with me.
6: If you got a stronger sense that he was interested in seeing you, then would you –
0: Yes, yes. You if, would be more I, inclined he, to see I him. I wouldn't say this house, though. That's out of the question.
6: Okay, quick sidebar. Any time I've ever raised the prospect of visiting Sheldon, no matter how hypothetical the scenario, my father always makes a point of insisting how no matter what, he would not stay in Sheldon's house, even if he was invited to, which I should point out, he never is. I
0: wouldn't stay at his house. How come you... <laughs> I wouldn't stay there. I mean, it's not, not my thing. This, how come you, you know? always bring that up? I mean, because normally I when someone goes to
6: visit someone that they haven't seen in decades, they'll yeah. stay at a hotel, you know.
0: <laughs> I would stay at a motel or somewhere uh, near his place. A Where motel. It's...
6: Yeah, no, we'd yeah. get a place, you know, with an yeah. ice machine and, uh, you know.
0: Why? You want a, you're want? you interested in making a trip?
6: I mean, I'm interested. Do you think that there's anything to be gained in, in seeing him?
0: Hmm. I guess there's something. I mean, you know, you share your common experience and you talk about the old days, and you, there are things that only he and I can remember. You know. Yeah. You know, you what you could do is you yeah. could call him. Yeah. And see what, what 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 his attitude is. You know, it depends on you know how 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 you feel, uh, what what kind of reception you get.
6: Yeah, I mean, I would. I would be happy to do that. My well, concern my, is I, that. Well, I
0: like your initial uh, suggestion that you call him, feel him out, and see what he's like. Okay, I didn't
6: suggest that, but you yeah, you suggested that. Uh, yeah, but I, I like that. It just so, of course, you'll give me an honest you'll give me an honest reaction. I'm happy to do it, but I mean, what 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 are you looking for from from What do you want to
0: hear from him? I miss my brother. I would like to see him. Okay, that's all. Okay. Um, you understand? And you come back on me with an honest evaluation.
5: Hello, Sheldon. Yes, speaking. Hi, I was quite a shock uh, getting your phone call. You said, John, uh, I, uh, yeah. as, uh, my hearing is not that great. Okay. And when I heard the first message, I'm saying, who the heck is that? I don't know anybody by that name.
6: Sheldon now lives outside of Fort Lauderdale, but my few memories of him are from when he lived in upstate New York. I remember he lived in a trailer. I remember that he worked at a local prison, that he smoked cigars, that he looked a little like my father, but was hunched, like the world was weighing down on him. And he always wore this expression on his face that seemed to say, you gotta be kidding me. You're keeping okay? You're keeping occupied?
5: Yeah, I read a lot. I go to the gym. I uh, go shopping. Well, you know, here and there, little things here and there.
6: And so you you still go... How often do you go to the gym?
5: Three times a week.
6: Wow, and what kind of stuff do you do there?
5: <laughs> well, I do about... Uh, 20 minutes of aerobics. Uh-huh. And then I do a little weight training. Huh. I try to flirt a little with the women there.
6: Oh, yeah. Um, my father also goes to the gym. Um, that's a part of his routine also. He was, th- they, he was happy to hear from you on his 80th birthday.
5: Yeah, well... uh, he, he didn't call me on my 85th, though.
6: Tit meet tat. Yeah, like, so, you know, maybe we could uh, go out for dinner. I don't know, that kind of thing.
5: Uh-huh. Uh, well, what what kind of a time frame are we talking about here? I don't know Uh, our lives have been much different I don't know how much we have to have in common anymore yeah we don't have we don't have much in common anymore except the fact that we're elderly and uh, retired Uh, other than that I don't know what we have in common
6: I guess you have your past in common
5: yes uh I'll tell you honestly, I'm not a very sentimental person, and I th- and I and being a pragmatist, I take things the way they are. I try not to dwell upon the past, and I try not to uh, take people the way I remember them, but as they are.
6: Do Do you think that makes things easier?
5: makes things easier for me
6: yeah um do, <laughs> do, do do other people around you sometimes does it make it harder for other people around you ever
5: to be honest with you um i've been in the last few years i've been a loner huh. you you would basically almost call me a recluse I don't socialize with many people and uh, i really don't give a damn what anybody thinks yeah and uh contrary to popular belief i like being alone by myself i get along with myself very well yeah look uh uh I don't want to be rude or yeah, anything, yeah. but I want to go have my lunch.
6: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I, Sheldon, I appreciate your talking to me, and um, you would be amenable to um to to spending some time.
5: Why not? Uh, we are brothers. I mean, we're not close or anything, but uh, you know, uh, we're not going to have a chance to see each other much in the future. <laughs>
6: Yeah. Uh, is, is that is that anything that you think about?
5: Not much, no.
6: And so I call my father back and let him know that Sheldon is amenable. And because I know that for my father, the days tend to pile up like unboxed air conditioners, I have my mother get on the phone to help nail down a firm travel date.
3: And Daddy wants to go?
6: if dad wants to go, if he wants to go, does
3: he want to go next
0: weekend?
6: <laughs> we don't have to go on the weekend. We can go during the week.
0: Yeah. It comes as, uh, you know, you caught me off guard. <laughs> How about if I'll call you Wednesday or Thursday? How's that?
6: Today's Monday or yeah. Or even if yeah. you feel like calling tomorrow, you can call yeah.
0: me. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I'll probably I'll call you the, at the latest Thursday.
6: <laughs> did you get the Thursday?
0: At the latest.
6: That's three days from today. Yeah. Okay. I have to All think. right, you do what you want to do. You okay. call me, but... Uh... I'll call
0: you Thursday.
3: You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival. After a short break, Buzz and Sheldon get as close to the analyst couch as they ever will. And a story beneath the story. What else happened on the day Princess Di was killed? Back in a minute.
0: In a
1: given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
3: Welcome back to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxey. At Third Coast, we are constantly listening to podcasts, radio shows, everything we can get our ears on. And of all the stuff we hear, we save the very best for you. If you're just joining us, we're listening to an episode of the podcast Heavyweight by Jonathan Goldstein. When we left Jonathan, he was doing his best to convince his father, Buzz, and his uncle Sheldon into a reunion after decades of estrangement.
6: And so on Thursday, possibly with a little nudging from my mother, Buzz agrees. And then, my father and I are off to Florida to visit my uncle Sheldon.
1: Press where two and then type. you have an address? Yeah, I do. Okay.
6: My dad and I meet up at the Fort Lauderdale airport. I flew from New York and my dad from Montreal. My father's all dressed up, wearing a faux suede sports jacket that I've never seen him in. We grab our airport rental and prepare for the two-hour drive to Sheldon, in the 90-degree heat, it's immediately made clear that faux suede might not have been the best fashion choice.
1: It's like we're on a safari here.
6: <laughs> On the road to Sheldon's, my father will experience a spectrum of feelings. As we first set out, there's excitement.
3: You know, my brother
1: was funny in a lot of ways. I could laugh. We're going to have laughs with him. You know what I mean? He's a very funny man.
6: A half an hour in, and there's bitterness.
1: We invited him to your bomb, it's funny. And he returned a very cold card. Sorry, we will not be attending. It was, you know, so mean. You know what I mean? Even the writing.
6: An hour in, and how is Buzz feeling?
1: I'm relaxed. You I'm, I'm kind of old to get anxious, you know what I mean?
6: A half an hour to Sheldon's.
1: A little bit apprehensive now.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ten minutes to Sheldon's, and Buzz is feeling.
1: All right yeah Yeah.
6: (laughs) you feeling a little uh...
1: no it's going to be strange Yeah, it's going to be very strange I mean the man is a stranger to me now and yet he's my brother you understand it's a very strange feeling yeah I wonder if he's getting nervous maybe because he's waiting for us right yeah You all set?
7: Yeah.
6: Uh, Ooh, it's hot. It's really hot, yeah. Sheldon lives in the corner house on a quiet suburban street. Ring the bell? I guess.
1: Is this his door? I'll double check. Maybe Oh, here he he is. Hey! Hi! Nice to see you, Hi. This is Jonathan. Nice, nice to, to meet you. Yeah. Come here. Come here. Thank
8: you. I smell the really good smell house. of cigar. Yeah. <sighs> Lately, I've become a monk. Me and my pussy cat. Oh,
1: you got a cat.
6: After all the years and the worry and the dread, things seem to be going swimmingly. We sit down at Sheldon's kitchen table, and my father gets right into it.
1: So now, there's things I want to know. Uh, you said that Rainy died. Yeah, she she died. did
6: die. The dead are a good place to begin, as a subject they're easily agreed upon and not likely to spark a fight.
1: The uncle died. The uncle died. He was the youngest brother. Oh, the he died brother. long ago. He died. eh? Yeah. Oh, you know who died? Who? Hoffman. Hoffman. A real prick. Yeah, I didn't know him that well. <laughs> I didn't know prick. him. Yeah, yeah. Knish oh that's shocking yeah, yes. he, yeah he was knish. fat he was fat redhead redhead yeah. right yeah knish yeah remember johnny. remember
8: johnny johnny was a sex man yeah johnny, johnny oh he would fuck a dog on yeah. the street John, if he, he was... saw the dog he tried to fuck the dog <laughs> <laughs> can i get you guys a cold
1: beer i'd like a beer
9: yeah sure. i'll have a beer Thank Even
6: you. though they're in their 80s, oh. Sheldon and Buzz still possess voices and temperaments suited to shouting out Brooklyn tenement windows, while my voice,
8: Olive yeah,
6: sure. beer. beer, is best suited to asking a waitress if there will be a sharing charge.
8: i define, oh, oh, oh.
6: Forgot about that, sorry. Case in point this is Sheldon accidentally swiping a portable microphone receiver off the kitchen table, and me trying to smooth things over.
8: This off, will you? It's annoying. No,
6: here, just put it in, the, uh, in your pocket there.
8: Just take it off, will okay. you, please? Thank you. thank you, thank you.
6: Over the next couple of days, my testes will flee like frightened cockroaches upward, ascending to heights not seen since the bar mitzvah that Sheldon was not attending. And while we're on the subject of testes, here's Sheldon reminiscing about the time he was examined for a rupture by their family doctor.
8: Me and Wally Rosen were joining the weightlifting club, so he had to be tested for a rupture. I remember he put his hand under my balls. I started laughing so hot I pissed right in his hand.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Over the years, I've seen my father in the role of husband, uncle, and grandfather, but I've never really seen him in the role of younger brother. How odd to see it now at 80... He sits beside Sheldon with this expression I've never seen on his face. It's wide-eyed, sweet, and deferential. But as the day wears on, Sheldon and Buzz begin to squabble over their memories, fighting over every little detail.
1: Remember the hallabaloo we had with the uh, the di- hair dyer, that heavy set girl? She's a manicurist. She was a hair dyer. Manicurist? No, she was a hair dyer. Here's what happened. She went over to Irving. They
6: even argue over the death of their grandmother.
1: I found her body. I, I did. opened the door. No, I no. did. My mother was across the street of Greenboro. I remember walking. I went in, in on her, and I knew she was dead. Yeah. As as I I, saw I never she. saw a dead body in my life, but I knew she was dead. Sure. So wait, so you found her or you found her? I remember looking in on the room to see how I, she I, I said I it was found, awfully quiet.
8: I found her, but let him take the credit. No, I'm not. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> some credit.
6: The whole afternoon is like this. Every subject, even their dead grandmother, somehow becomes fodder for another pissing match. They're burning up all this time with small talk when what they need is some big talk. In particular they need to address a story that I know holds a great deal of meaning for my father. It took place in 1939, on the day their mother left them. I've only ever heard the story from my father, never from Sheldon. I wanted to ask what you remember, what your perspective...
8: All I remember that time was when Pop was smacking her around and she ran out in the hall and her
1: slip. Fighting in the hall. No, he, he,
8: he was... Smacking Smack around. around.
1: Yeah. She ran out. Yeah. So what happened the next morning?
8: The, the next morning? Yeah.
1: They Look won't. in the closet. Her clothes were gone. She left.
8: Uh,
6: what happened after this in my father's telling is that his mother returned soon after she left with a policeman in tow.
1: And he, they came back to try to get you. They wanted you to come back with them. And where were you? I was there, but she was they were trying to drag you out of the house. And they, were, <laughs> they weren't trying to grab no, you out. No, no, I can stay with my, my father and grandmother.
6: This is the point of the story for my father. It proves, once and for all, how his mother loved Sheldon more than she loved him. Sheldon didn't move out with her, and after a year, their mother returned, and together, Buzz and Sheldon grew up under the same roof, in the same bedroom, often sleeping under the same blanket, each knowing who the mother had chosen, and each having to do their best to carry on and live life with the burden of that knowledge. A couple times during the day, I ask them why they haven't spoken in so long, and they both insist, maybe out of embarrassment, that they do talk, just not, Often. But it isn't true. In fact, my father learned of Sheldon's wife's death many years after the fact, and then only from me. Sheldon's daughter got in touch through Facebook, and we made a phone date where she caught me up on her life and Sheldon's. And a few nights later, while over at my parents' for dinner, I told my father of his sister-in-law's death. There was a terrible look that fell across his face, one of sadness, but something else too, maybe shock over just how far he and Sheldon had drifted. Uh, I, I found out uh, about Judy, about her death. Who? Your, your wife.
1: I didn't know about it either until you told me. Yeah. Uh, didn't I tell you?
8: No. You didn't know about it, no? We didn't know. Hmm? We didn't know. She was sick about two years, uh, <sighs> Judy. Too bad. Well, when she got the diagnosis, she was already stage four. What did I know about cancer? I so the surgeon, so he said, so I says, well, doctor, I said, how did the surgery go? Oh, he said it went very well. But the cancer is in her liver now. Oh, it it's spread. I said, it's in her liver. I said, what? And on top of that, I'm driving home. I'm all fucked up and I'm spaced out. And my driver window's open, and some kids pull up alongside me and flip a lit cigarette into my car. You know where I usually come in by myself by the bar? They got a waitress there who always waits on me. He takes good care of
6: them. For dinner, Sheldon takes us to a local Outback Steakhouse. As people walk by, he provides a running commentary of an elderly couple...
8: Don't get like that couple, whatever you do. It's time for the execution.
6: ...of an overweight couple... Oh, they fat. People are fat today. It's as though he's sharpening his wit readying it for the main event, teasing my dad about Canada.
1: I don't know how you could take Canada when you're round. Why? Right. So we got nice neighbors. It's nice. It's okay. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, you're
8: living in the same place for how many years? Oh,
1: about, uh, over 35, 38 years, something like that. I'm happy to. Yeah.
8: Yeah.
6: For my father, I know this is a touchy subject believing, as he always has, that Sheldon looks down on him for the dinkiness of his Canadian life and home. It's like a constant reminder of just who is second best. Later, my father will repeat Sheldon's words. You're still living in that same place, he'll say, for how many years? But just then, I watch my father clench and unclench his jaw, as he does when he is brooding. I know he's trying to take the high road, trying not to ruin the evening.
8: What? $200 and 30 cents? it ain't
6: kidding? Sheldon invites us back to his place for cookies, but my father says he isn't up for it. Good night.
1: Thank you. Good night.
6: As we walk through the restaurant parking lot to the car, my father is silent. I find myself feeling protective of him. After midnight, lying awake in our hotel... My father insisted we stay at one. I lay in bed thinking about that day in 1939, when my grandmother came back for Sheldon, not my father. For my father, not only did it push him away from Sheldon, making him feel jealous and resentful, but it also cast a shadow over the rest of his life, causing him to always feel passed over. He's mellowed with age, but as a kid, I saw it come out in all kinds of ways, always sensitive to slights, ready for a fight at the smallest perceived defense. I wonder if there's a different way for my father to see things. If there is, the only living person in this world who can help is Sheldon. When their mom left, Sheldon was nine, my father five. Sheldon would have understood a lot more than my father. Yesterday, Buzz and Sheldon talked like a couple of kids who used to play stickball in the old neighborhood. Today, if me and my big fat meddling yap have any sway, they'll have a chance to talk as men, as brothers even. Because if not now, when
1: day two this is a damn good cigar. He sent me Oh Dominican Republic, they make a damn good cigar in Dominican Republic. What are you talking Despite
6: the difficulties of last night, the coin is flipped back to the good side. Sheldon offers my father a cigar, and with the cigar, some cigar talk. Some pretty foul cigar talk.
8: We're riding on Queens Boulevard. Johnny's in the back seat with the hoo. He's got his naked ass up in the air, and he's, <laughs> and he's humping. Well, the funny thing is, we had to stop for a light, <laughs> and there's a truck driver sitting in the cab up high. I looked out of the car. That was funny. <laughs>
6: See, if you guys missed each other? What? Do you
8: miss each other? You know, he asked the weirdest question. Well, what, uh, uh, <laughs> what, what? What is he abroad? No, I mean I don't know. That's
6: you know. Eager to prove to my uncle Sheldon that, in spite of the fact I'm wearing my wife's travel deodorant, I am indeed not abroad. I allow them to return to more pressing matters: their prostates.
8: The guy says, "Jesus," he says, "You're." Uh, Prostate feels like the moon craters in there, he said. Yeah, so, I he said, said thank me. you, yeah. doctor. I thought <laughs> he, <just, laughs> he was complimenting me. Jesus.
6: So if I could steer this away from the yeah. prostate. So my father said that it's significant to, to him to have come. What do you say?
8: I agree with whatever he said.
6: But what about you? Do you feel
8: I it? said I agree with whatever right. he said. Do you want a written no, contract? No, <laughs> no, I'm
6: happy for that. It feels like I'm getting a taste of what growing up with Sheldon might have been like. So again, I make my move. So I have some questions uh, just about because the stories that I know from my father. But I'm curious what your take is because you were older. Do you remember um, w- w- what what was going on when your mom when your mother left originally? Like what what why and what was going on?
8: Didn't you cover this ground before yesterday? But
6: from my father's perspective, the way I understood it was always you were the favorite. Did you, did you feel that way? At this point, Sheldon's face suddenly softens.
8: I always felt that I got the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, but you, you,
1: you were, you were a, a kind of a favorite with my mom.
8: Yeah, maybe with mom, because maybe temperamentally we were closer than I was with my father. My father never gave me spit. Did you ever get any money from my father? Can't remember. <laughs> you Can't never remember. got a no. dime. No. Can't remember. You never. No. One time I sprained my ankle oh, so I'll never bad. I forget
1: that. It was that was terrible.
8: I laid in that bed. My ankle. He was. He says to me, "You lazy bum." Yeah. Man, he went off on me that yeah.
1: time. Whoa. Yeah. He took Sheldon once. Sheldon happened to say the word fuck.
8: He came in with that fucking strap swinging
1: with the buckle. And, and, you know, I can understand it leaving a a feeling of resentment and and dislike.
8: uh, That was his way of uh, uh, communicating with us. Smack, smack, and then...
1: uh, What a way. Yeah.
6: Was he easier on
1: you, do you think? Um, it wasn't that easy, but he was tough on Sheldon, wasn't he? I it? know, you were closer yeah, to him yeah, than I was.
8: Yeah. And a lot of things that went on,
1: you didn't understand no, really what no, was going on. So you had a different take?
6: Why, well, are, you you su- are you surprised by... It? But I was a
1: kid, I didn't understand it.
6: But you didn't know that Sheldon was getting it so bad? No. In Buzz's telling, their father was always a more or less benign, childish figure incapable of expressing his feelings, and so given to temper tantrums. For Buzz, it was their mother who was the manipulator, the woman who played the brothers off each other. But hearing Sheldon's take, it sounds like maybe their mother didn't come to take Sheldon because she loved him best, but simply because he needed more protecting from their father. For the first time during our trip... I can see my father considering Sheldon's point of view, actually taking it in. I know it's intense for him because he can't even meet Sheldon's eyes. Instead, he looks at me, addresses his comments to me.
1: You know, it's sad that my father had such a negative impact on him, you know? Just awful, because he had so much going for him. He he was a wonderful son. He worked hard. He was a good boy. Talking, he went to, to school. You're
8: talking like I'm a failure in
1: life? No, you weren't a failure. That's now, what the thing that even, I'm saying. Yeah, you man. weren't a failure. But all I'm saying is that emotionally, he left an impact on you.
8: It took a long time for me to get out of yeah. that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now I'm at peace with myself. Uh, I can talk about him and laugh about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want peace, quiet. I'm happy living by myself. Are you lonely, Sheldon? No.
9: No.
6: The last time my father saw my grandfather in full health, my dad was visiting from Canada. My grandfather asked my father to drive him to the cemetery to visit his parents' grave. And once there, my grandfather wept inconsolably. Later that day, he would succumb to a stroke and shortly after be moved to a nursing home. With Sheldon being more local, the burden of my grandfather's care fell mainly to Sheldon. It seems like a lot of the family's burdens fell to Sheldon.
1: They put a lot of the, a lot of the responsibility on him that my dad should have been taking that responsibility. And he shouldered that. Who will, who's gonna take care of you? Yeah. Who's gonna right. take you to school? Yeah. Yeah. Meet you, I remember
8: one time I was late or something, you stood outside that uh,
1: Screaming,
8: so You were sure. crying. Was, yeah, yeah. I said, Buzzy, I'm here, I'm here. Yeah. He
1: was good to me. By A lot of time
0: times was I was
8: mean to, me. to
1: you. Yeah, mean, you know, used to, you were my older brother. You used to knock the shit out of me sometimes. But, you know, that's the way it is with with brothers. Well, yeah. I was good in some ways. Some ways I was mean. No, oh, who was not? Who was not? <laughs> who was not?
6: So if you feel like you... We're compelled to see each other now because you knew that you know it's an hour never kind of thing. Then it means that it was important to you both, right, to to see each other.
8: You want to take that? Sure. Yes. Yeah, e- easy ahead. answer. Yes.
1: Yes, because we're not getting any younger. I mean, what, what's what's down the road? I'm eighty. He's eighty-five. I mean, because there there was a lot of water under the bridge and we want to close that bridge now. I want to feel easy now. I want to say now he's going to be 86, I want to call him on his birthday and say happy birthday to him now. I'm not going to stand in any fucking ceremonies anymore.
6: As my father speaks, as per his brother's example, dropping F-bombs like he's in a Guy Ritchie film, Sheldon keeps his arms crossed and his eyes shut tight. He's quiet for several seconds, and then he reaches out to pet his cat.
8: Should I leave you the cat in my will, if anything happened?
1: If anything out, I'll take care of the cat. I'll take care of the cat. <laughs> I'm happy I came to see you. That I am.
8: I'm happy Jack. you came yeah, here. Yeah. That's good. Very good. If ever you want to buy a house, that
6: one is for sale. When it's time to leave, Sheldon walks us outside. But before we get into the rental... He points across the lawn to his neighbor's house. He tells my father that it's for sale, and then he tells him the asking price. And my father says, that doesn't sound bad at all. And Sheldon says that, what with Canada being so bloody cold, my father should consider moving to Florida. And my father says, maybe he will. They don't get too emotional. They don't even hug goodbye. They just shake hands. And with that, it feels like Buzz has forgiven Sheldon, and Sheldon has forgiven Buzz.
1: All right, water, you take care. Water of under
8: the bridge. Nah, take care. Take of care, you care. too. Okay. Safe trip, both of you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank
1: you. We'll
8: speak. We'll speak. Turn
1: right on Northwest, Medford Drive. Oh my God, I feel so different now. You know that? This is taking a lot off my shoulders. I. Uh, you know?
6: As we ride to the airport, my father says that the thought of Sheldon all alone in that house with just a cat makes him sad. Do you really think he isn't lonely? My father asks. I assure him that Sheldon seems okay with being alone, but my father doesn't seem so sure. After all these years, the burden of having lost his brother has been replaced by a new burden, one that might be heavier to bear. ¶¶
3: Buzz was produced by Jonathan Goldstein, Wendy Dore, Chris Neary, and Kalila Holt for the podcast Heavyweight from Gimlet Media.
7: Good evening, I'm Roger Grimsby here now the news.
3: Producer Arwen Nix had a great idea for a show. Take Big News Days. I mean, banner headline news days, and look for lesser known stories, but equally powerful stories that happened on the same day. And she found some amazing ones, like a man who escaped from prison the day Nelson Mandela was released from prison. And also, this next piece, Sandy and Princess Die, which goes back to August 31st of 1997, when two cars in two separate countries drove two Parallel Stories. Today's date is August 31st, 1997.
7: Do you think you'll ever be queen? No, I don't. No. Why do you think that? I'd like to be a queen of people's hearts, in people's hearts, but I don't see myself being queen of this country.
4: My name is Sandy Clark. I live in Flower Mound, Texas. I am Rodney's mom. Oh, Rodney was very a very fun kid. Our family is involved in racing. Uh, when I say family, I mean extended family, cousins of mine with their kids, and now their kids and the generation getting into it. And we started taking Rodney to the racetrack when he was a baby, about 18 months old. He had a little red car that he would, a little infant car that he would ride around the house with a child's football helmet on and Mickey Mouse gloves and always pretend he was a race car driver. I knew he would grow up to to be a race car driver. That was just a given. Every weekend he spent with his racing cousins, working on those cars, Uh, he'd be in the pits with them when they come in from, you know, doing a hot lap or a race um, and make adjustments, learn how to make the adjustments, changing the tires and, and keeping the cars going. Rodney's cousin was married to Melanie's cousin. They are the ones that introduced them. And uh his cousin, uh, Larry, we call him Little Larry, he's a junior, introduced him and uh he raced, and so they were always at the racetrack together. She was not the not the one that has to dress up and have the heels and the painted fingernails and all the makeup. She was uh, intent on growing up to be a veterinarian. That was, was her dream to be. And that she had, like, I, I think a pet iguana, he told me. She loved the races. She would get in his car with him and they would ride around in it and then she would sit up in the window and that type of thing. They just seemed to hit it off very well. She was a pretty little girl. His father and I didn't go to the races that night. Um, We stayed home. And normally I would have been in bed, but I'm a big fan of Princess Diana. And so when the news came on, it was coming on about, you know, Princess Diana being in an accident. And so I stayed up to listen to that.
7: We interrupt this film to tell you we are getting reports that Diana, Princess of Wales, has been badly injured in a car crash in France. French radio is saying that the accident happened in western Paris when the car she was travelling in collided with and another vehicle. And it was in a just camp. a little before midnight, before I went to bed There's that no night. Of her condition, and as yet the report is...
4: I don't know, remember the exact time, but it was between midnight and one a.m and the phone rang, and my husband was still up, and I heard him answer the phone. Being the mother of a teenager, and they're not home, you never go, you know, soundly asleep. You hear that phone ring, and you know at that time of night there's something going on, and I could hear his end of the talk, the conversation, and what I heard was um, they've taken him to John Peter Smith. They've had to Uh, resuscitate him twice, and that it didn't look good, and that we needed to get to the hospital
7: as soon as possible. The crash was at high speed and horrific. Just after midnight, the black Mercedes hit the curb, cannoned into a concrete pillar of an underpass, then bounced into the side wall. The French authorities say the driver had lost control and was going at twice, possibly three times the speed limit on the way to the hospital. It was just silent. It was just silent.
4: None of us spoke and it was a very bright, clear, starry night. I looked out the car window and I just prayed, God, I know that he is a gift to me from you and that someday that you'll take him back. And if tonight is the night that you take him back, then I'll understand. But I need you to help me live without him because I don't know if I can. When we got to the hospital, um, I went straight into the emergency interest, and when I got there, every spectator, race car drivers, everyone from the speedway was in that emergency room waiting area. It was packed. And I mean, I no sooner walked in the door somebody, you know, grabbed me and took me over to the desk and said, This is the, you know, this is Rodney's mother. And they immediately took me back to a waiting room behind closed doors. From there, some of Melanie's family were there also. Her mother was there already. I remember the doctor coming coming to talk with us, and he told us that our kids looked exactly the same, that they were both in a coma, they were both on life support, and that um, they didn't know when they would come out of it or if they ever would come out of it. They had them in this room, and they were side by side, and they were both on life support. Rodney was was covered in blood uh, from his head down to his chest. And the paramedic had told me that every time he did compressions on his chest, that blood just shot up out of his mouth and went over his head. And that's why he was as bloody as he looked. It was hard. They put them in intensive care and we stayed in the main waiting area all night long, just waiting to hear more news. They were preparing to do CAT scans and brain scans and, and all of those tests on them to find out where they stood. Uh, there were TVs in the, in the waiting area, and it was all about Princess Diana all night long. All night long.
1: This is a flash from National 9 News.
2: Welcome to this special national 9 News update. And the news out of Paris on the condition of Princess Diana is not good. She Diana is now
7: Princess of Wales has reported. died after a car crash in Paris. The, the French government Diana announced her death just before five. Has died a as a result of a car crash. The dead in a car crash in Paris, along Paris. with her companion of the past several weeks. The world is uh, is slowly learning. So again, of this again, it's news. still
3: early it here. Is, uh, Certainly, uh, many people are only insurance. now waking up to
7: this utterly devastating news.
4: So what they told me what happened was at the speedway, one of the cousins was on the track racing Bomber Series. The rest of them were standing up on an embankment at a chicken wire fence that separated the racetrack from the pits. And Rodney and Melanie were standing. His arms were around her with her standing in front of him. And she's just about a head shorter than him and a wheel had broke off of a race car and it went flying and hit that fence and uh... they fell and hit the ground
7: good evening britain lost a princess today a young woman described by all to whom she reached out as irreplaceable an early morning car crash in a paris underpass ended a life with more than its share of pain and courage warmth and compassion. Just over two hours ago an RAF plane brought her home.
4: I I don't want to tell Melanie's story because it's, it's not our story to tell but I was with her mother when they told her that she wasn't going to survive or that she was already brain dead. They no sooner told her that till they asked her about organ donation, and her mother said, "Well, yes, actually, she we had talked about that before, and that she was a big believer in organ donation. That, and she had told her mother that if anything ever happened to her, she wanted to donate her organs. And so, they started talking about that, and they started talking about, you know, taking different body parts. Okay, this time we've got several recipients." So we're gonna take her into surgery this time to take a kidney. And then we'll take her into this one to take her liver. And then we'll take her in to take her eyes. And then we'll take her in last finally at midnight to take her heart. I can't handle that. If I'm next, I can't handle that. Our doctor then came out and spoke to my husband and I and they said, he said, When these two kids were brought in here and they did a brain scan on them, that there was a number between zero and 10 that they rated them by. And that 10 being perfect, zero, you were not alive. Melanie was a zero and Rodney was between a zero and a one.
9: The doctors said that, uh, they told my parents that they hoped they believed in a higher power because there is nothing that they had done that could have or should have saved me.
4: The day that Rodney woke up from his coma was the day that they had Melanie's funeral and burial.
9: I did the why her and and why not me and and those type of things um or just why it could happen in general, you know there was a lot of whys going on um you know it's like you're trying to coach your driver from like he can hear you, but of course you know you're just looking like a fool standing there screaming at the top of your lungs.
4: he cried, he cried afterwards.
9: I actually uh, had my dad take me out there the following week after I was released from the hospital and uh just to let everybody know that I was okay you know that well, just to to prove that I was still around i found out where she was buried and i actually went out there pretty regularly for a few years and made sure everything stayed clean and it was being cared for like it was supposed to be. It was important, just... I I don't know, I just... It's hard to explain when you go through something traumatic with somebody and you're the only one that survives. It's You feel like it's your job, you know, to... Kind of keep that memory alive for a while.
7: We have all been trying in our different ways to cope. It is not easy to express a sense of loss, since the initial shock is often succeeded by a mixture of other feelings, disbelief, incomprehension, anger, and concern for those who remain. We have all felt those emotions in these last few days. So what I say to you now, as your queen and as a grandmother, I say from my heart she was an exceptional and gifted human being. In good times and bad, she never lost her capacity to smile and laugh, nor to inspire others with her warmth and kindness. May those who died rest in peace, and may we, each and every one of us, thank God for someone who made many, many people happy.
3: Sandy and Princess Die was produced by Arwen Nix, Shane Melling, and Whitney Henry Lester for the short-lived podcast, How's Your Day, from KUOW. Short-lived because, as you can imagine, stories like these are very hard to track down. In fact, the producers of this podcast decided to cancel the series after just nine episodes. And you can hear them all wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxey. The program is produced by Dennis Funk with Isabel Vesquez and curated by Johanna Zorn and Maya Goldberg-Safer. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 2,000 outstanding documentaries from around the world. And subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, A web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. With so much to listen to and so little time, ReSound, all diamonds, no rough.